0: I see my life come shining From the west down to the
1: east Any day now, any day now I shall be released
0: Hello, I'm Alex Hannaford and this is The Innocence. Hello, I'm producer Pete and today... We are talking to Anna Vasquez. Anna Vasquez. She's one of the San Antonio Four. The San Antonio Four.
2: The San Antonio Four. San Antonio Four came to be
0: known as the San Antonio Four, along with Christy Mayhew, Elizabeth Ramirez, and Cassandra Rivera. Tell me about the San Antonio Four. So you can imagine when they have a, they're given a sort of media moniker like that. It's quite a high-profile case. So in March 1995 when the four women were just in their late teens and early 20s, they were accused of sexually molesting Ramirez's seven-year-old and nine-year-old nieces at gunpoint in San Antonio, Texas. Accused of sexually violating Ramirez's two young nieces. They were convicted of sexually assaulting
3: two little girls. So Anna was convicted of this alleged crime. How did they convict her at the trial?
0: All four women were convicted because the prosecution had two things they had testimony from the little girls the little girls were key witnesses who who you know said that this happened and also there was medical evidence so uh, at the trial the prosecution brought in pediatricians uh, who testified that there was physical evidence that corroborated what the girls were saying
3: and as we heard with Jason Baldwin in the first episode of this series this was part of the famous Satanic Panic era. It was. Satanic ritual abuse has become the fastest growing and most controversial psychological phenomenon in the country. It's a modern twist to an
1: ancient story. Investigated their world of covens and sacrifices. This case is probably the last gasp of the Satanic Ritual Abuse
2: panic.
0: You know, it's funny how it's sort of hauntingly similar to what happened with the West Memphis Three, um, and in fact Jason knows uh, Anna, and and he's the one that introduced us to her. So you know it's thanks to Jason that we actually got to talk to her. So you know Anna will talk about how she was into rock music. She wore dark clothes. She was also it's important to point out um, she is a lesbian, and as as are the other three. And this again she feels helped sort of seal their fate. She also mentions Pete, a, a woman you'll you'll hear her mention the name uh, Hager. She's referring to. Astrid Heppenstall Hager, who's a paediatrician, who was actually an expert witness at a daycare sexual abuse case in the 80s known as the McMartin Preschool Trial. And this is, uh, in that, a family that operated a California daycare centre were charged with the sexual abuse of children and Hager performed the medical examinations, the results of which contributed to the family's prosecution. But the charges were event- eventually dropped and the um, McMartin preschool trial was one of the other very very big cases in this whole satanic panic era. And just to remind listeners, if they if they haven't listened to uh, Jason's interview, the satanic panic era was this sort of in the eighties and nineties. There were these cases, often involving daycares, uh, where you know the police would coerce these um, very very tall. Tales from children about these very elaborate uh, things that happened to them that involved sort of drinking you know, children's blood and stuff like that. It was very, very, it was crazy. And of course, like the, and I mentioned this in a previous podcast, like the QAnon phenomenon now, this too was, was sort of just fed into the public's kind of fear and imagination and all the rest of it. So um, unfortunately, Anna and her three friends, this happened at that time. And so this case kind of became part of that.
2: Former Bear County District Attorney Susan Reed later admitted the medical science presented at trial was wrong.
3: And Anna spent almost thirteen years in prison. And not only that, when she got out of prison, she was forced to register on the sexual offenders register and it meant that she couldn't live within a certain distance of the school but also she couldn't be left alone with young children and she she has lots of young relatives she wasn't able to to spend time with them and um, it just sounds horrific
0: yeah i mean it's a tragic tragic story and i mean i think that kind of gets to the the point that you know about this whole series which is what does you know to be innocent to be found innocent or to, to be innocent and 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 released but without the the state kind of acknowledging it what what does innocence actually mean and i think for anna you know when she was released it was sort of bittersweet it was obviously fantastic that she was uh free physically free but then you know there was one point she talks about working for her brother in a um auto shop um and having to like basically jack the job in because it was too near a school i mean it's just 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 terrible and you know it's important to kind of point out that you know this is a tough listen so people need to be aware of that anna's voice uh, is shaking in parts she gets upset at one point it's a tough interview um it's tough for her to relay what happened to her but she insists that it's really important for people to hear Her story and that she's retelling it for a reason. So I think it's it's equally important that we listen. Huddled Mass's latest season, The Innocence, wouldn't be possible without our generous sponsors. This holiday season, more people will be mailing stuff than ever before, which means the post office is going to be pretty busy. And if, like me, you don't have time for that, stamps.com brings the post office and now UPS shipping. Right to your computer. With stamps.com, anything you can do at the post office, you can do with just a few clicks. Plus, stamps.com saves you money with deep discounts that you can't even get at the post office. So, if you're a small office sending out invoices, for example, or an online seller fulfilling orders, or even a massive warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, stamps.com can handle it all with ease. And with stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40%. ...off priority mail and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. So stamps.com is a no-brainer. Saves you time and money and it's no wonder over 900,000 small businesses already use it. So don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for stamps.com instead. There's no risk and with my promo code, Masses, that's Masses, M-A-S-S-E-S, as in huddled Masses, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial... Plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in masses, stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Well, um... We'll, we'll see how, how we do in the next hour.
2: OK, sounds good. Their case began in the summer of 94, when Elizabeth Ramirez's nieces, ages 7 and 9, came to stay with Liz and her friends at Ramirez's home in San Antonio. The little girls claimed they were raped during a drug fueled satanical rage with a gun pointed at their heads.
0: One of the things I wanted to ask you about was, at the time, knowing that you were innocent, why did you think that these two girls were suddenly claiming that you and your three friends had molested them.
1: Liz and I, well, Elizabeth and I grew up together. You know, I got to know her in high school and we played sports together. So we spent a lot of time together, you know, as athletes, you kind of stick in that group. We played volleyball, Mm. basketball, Mm. we did track. So it was like a whole year round type of deal that, you know, we got to spend time together. And actually, she had been in her first relationship with my best friend. And so that also helped me to get to know her outside of school. So I was familiar with the Lamont family. Her sister was in a relationship with Javier and they you know, had children together. They weren't legally married, but I did know of him and he was a kind of sketchy guy. You know, I didn't hear very many good things about him, you know, just his background and whatnot.
0: This is their father, the girl's father? This is the
1: father of Vanessa and Stephanie. His Mm. name is Javier Limon. Just in my opinion, it wouldn't be somebody that I would like to be around.
0: So at the time, you you had an inkling that he had something to do with this?
1: I always had that thought, Alex. Mm. I could just never prove it. Mm. Even when we were being investigated... I had mentioned to Detective Majeka, who was uh, investigating our case, the the claims of the sexual assault, he might want to look into him.
2: Dr. Nancy Kellogg testified that internal scars were caused by physical trauma. It was critical testimony.
0: The trial took less than a week. Tell me what was going through your head when you heard that on top of this horrible allegation that you knew wasn't true, you suddenly heard a professor of pediatrics say that she'd examined the girls and there was physical evidence that they'd been sexually molested.
1: You know, it's hard to hear somebody to um, accuse you of something like that against a child, a sexual assault. And the way they, they claimed there was drugs involved, it was a gang rape. And, you know, that already, the accusations alone were devastating to me. But to hear somebody in open court actually say that against you and being able to see them, it was shocking. And I just never could wrap my mind around, how is this happening to me? Hmm. Alex, it wasn't something like I was there, somebody else did it or anything like that. There was just nothing Hmm. there that we were convicted of and You know, that's a really hard pill to swallow when somebody is up on a stand and stating these horrific details that, you know, we did to these two innocent children. You know, it it was just really hard to accept. But you're right, Alex. um, A lot of the time that I spent in court, I don't remember everything, Mm. you know. So, yeah, you're right. It's almost like I've blocked it out, I guess.
0: Do you remember what your attorneys were saying at this point when they knew that there was a medical professional getting up before the court and corroborating what these girls had said? Did you still feel there was a way out of this, that you were going to be fully exonerated?
1: You know, I always had that hope, Alex, but no, I did not get that from my attorney. You know, he told me flat out that I would lose because, you know, it's hard for somebody to go against what a child is saying. As much as I don't like to hear that or didn't want to know about that, is the truth. Nobody wants to get it wrong when it involves a child. And I think that it was very unfortunate that my attorneys, I guess, didn't try to put somebody on to, you know, fight against what she was saying. They kind of just let her talk, you know, and um, there was nothing to dispute her claims. Mm.
0: In the UK, where I'm from, certainly once a trial has started, I mean the newspapers, the media are very limited in what they can print. In other words, they can print what is said in open court, but that's it. In America, it's very different. There's a lot of speculation. How were you treated by the media?
1: Horribly, horribly. You know, we were. Um, I was portrayed as this monster that preyed on these two innocent children, and it was a gang rape, and it was drug fueled. And, you know, of course it happened because there were two little girls and we're lesbians, you know. So, of course, you know, it happened. The media was completely against us, Mm. you know. And again, with the media, like you said, there's a lot of speculation because never once did I do an interview with the people that were writing the stories to hear Mm. my side. They, I guess, made it as juicy as possible. And by that time, Alex, um, you know, we were already convicted in the eyes of, the public i mm.
0: think was the jury homophobic
1: you know the question did come up you know if they were against homosexuals mm. and um, you know there was some that were dismissed because of it but it's really hard to determine but i i really do think that it played a crucial part in our trial yeah
0: right and, and what about your family i mean when there was a trial by media before the trial had even begin the actual trial did your family s- stick by you
1: they did They did. I was very fortunate that they they did. They felt like they knew me and they got it all wrong. But at that same time, Alex, and I'm not speaking about my family, but I was under being scrutinized because you didn't hear about wrongful convictions back then. Hmm. I mean, it's so well known now that this happens. But back then, you know, even myself, before I got involved in this case, I saw the news and I thought that people were being arrested and sent to prison because they actually did something. Nowadays, people question that. Back Mm. then, I had no idea that wrongful convictions were even happening.
0: You believed in the justice system.
1: I did. I did. And, you know, going through the investigation, through the trial, through the conviction, I still believed in it. I still thought that the truth would come out somehow, Mm. some way, and I would be vindicated.
0: You, Christy, and Cassandra were sentenced to 15 years, Elizabeth to more than double that. Do you remember the day that you were sentenced
1: I do we arrived at the courthouse and the jury wasn't in yet we had a few minutes before court started so we went down and they were still deciding you know on guilt or innocent and went down and you know maybe two floors in the courthouse to get something to drink with my family and you know right as we hit the bottom floor to where you could get you know a soda of any machine They had called the attorney and said they have a verdict. So, I mean, I want to say within 15 minutes of their arrival to start deciding guilt or innocence, they already had their minds made up. Cassandra Rivera, Ana Vasquez, Christy Mayhew, and Elizabeth Ramirez were convicted of sexual assault. All four women were sentenced to prison. Despite believing their innocence would prevail, the four were quickly found guilty.
0: Can you take me back to that that moment when they gave the verdict?
1: Well, the first thing that morning when when they said that they have a verdict, it it was a verdict. It wasn't sentencing yet. That was a few Mm. days later. But yeah, when they said, uh, you know, we're guilty. I just heard my mom scream behind me and that that was my concern. She was my concern. I I don't know. She's just always been on a pedestal, you know, but I just, I couldn't believe it.
0: You were thinking of your family. You weren't concerned about what was about to happen to you.
1: No, I really didn't think that I was going to be found guilty. You know, I I really didn't think that. Um, Our attorneys, I thought, did a good job to prove, you know, what they were saying. And some of the transcripts, you can see where there was a part where the little girls had mentioned that they had never uh, been around Liz before. And Liz's mom had given us pictures where, you know, there was family gatherings. They were all together. You know, they were sitting on Liz's lap, you know, so what they were claiming, we always came back with something. But I think what really sealed the deal was that we had a quote unquote expert witness saying that, you know, there were signs of sexual trauma to the little girls.
0: Hmm. Anna, you were you were sentenced to about 15 years in prison. Do you remember the first few days where you, you, you essentially what we're told is that if you've been accused of a of a sex crime against a child, you're basically marked when you go to prison. Were you worried? Were you fearful for your safety?
1: In a sense, but because our case was so high profile, they had put us into protective custody. Hmm. But even the women that were in protective custody, they had to lock them up because they wanted to beat us up. They wanted to, you know, hurt us. Yeah, it was frightening. That was the first time I had ever been in jail you know, period. I had never been in trouble in my life. So I wasn't familiar. So it was a whole new world to get accustomed to.
0: Was protective custody essentially solitary confinement? Were you on your own? Yes. For how long?
1: Gosh, it was maybe three weeks.
0: Hmm. How did you get through those first three weeks?
1: Um. A lot of crime, still disbelief, uh, a lot of praying and actually being hopeful because when we were convicted, my attorney turned to me and said, we will appeal. And not knowing anything about the justice system, I didn't realize that it would take so long, but we were fortunate enough, Alex, that because I was given a, um, 15-year sentence, I was able to apply for an appellate bond. And with that, my family had to come up with $30,000 cash so that I could be released and continue my appeals outside of jail or prison, where Liz wasn't given that opportunity because she was given 37 and a half years. And then what happened? Well, myself, Cassie, and Christy were able to spend two years out fighting our Mm. appeals. And then in 2000, we had received news that we had lost our appeals Mm. and that a blue warrant would be issued the very next day. So that night, you know, I basically told my family that, you know, I'll, I'll be going to prison or jail and then prison for the next 15 years of my life. So it was. It was really hard to say goodbye.
0: How did you keep busy? How did you look after your mental health for 13 years? I kept busy.
1: I Mm. think sometimes that your mind and your thinking is your worst enemy in prison, you know, because you are so focused on everything that went wrong that you become depressed. And, you Mm. know, it's really hard to get out of that state of mind, especially when you're surrounded around so much negativity, Alex. I mean, it's just a dark world in prison, you know? Mm. So for the first couple of years, I was put on the whole squad, which means working in the fields. About three years after that, after entering prison, I was given a job in the print shop. And this was a job that was 10 hours a day, Monday through Friday. And that helped me to stay busy. So basically... I started educating myself in the printing industry because I had no idea about that. You know, I was very young. I worked at a fast food restaurant. Learning about something new is what kept my mind going.
0: And there's lots of people in prison who essentially give up. They refuse to go out for rec. They refuse to do the work programs because they've essentially given up on life. Was it difficult to force yourself out of your cell to do that? Was there days when you thought, I can't do this?
1: Uh, no, actually, but I will tell you this. So there's a movie, it's called the hurricane hmm. and it came out shortly before we were going to go back to prison. I believe, you know, the way that he handled himself in prison, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to wear this clothing. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. But heck no, Alex, I couldn't do it. Hmm. You know, if you refuse what they're telling you to do, you go into isolation, hmm. solitary confinement going back to your mind is your worst enemy at at that particular time. I don't think I was strong enough. So what I did was I just, you know, steadily kept busy, but I was also determined, Alex, that, um, you know, they portrayed me as this horrible person Hmm. that I wanted to prove them wrong. Hmm. And, um, I feel like I did that for the 13 years that I was in prison. I was, you know, basically a model prisoner and, I just, you know, kept my nose clean, stayed out of trouble and did what I had to do.
0: Was it important to forge friendships for your sanity?
1: It was, you know, in prison, you just, there's a trust issue. You, you never know who you can trust and who you can't, especially with a crime uh, or let me say a conviction like mine. It's very poorly looked upon within mm. reason, right? But it's different when you're innocent. You know, had I been in there for murder or aggravated assault, I would have been a top dog, basically. But because I was in there for the one of the worst crimes that you could be convicted of, it was really hard to forge friendships. And the ones that I did form friendships with, I mean, it was a very select few, Alex. And yeah. um, still to this day, I, I still speak to them. You know, we're still friends.
0: Yeah. You weren't able to communicate with Christy, Cassandra, or Elizabeth, I think. And I wondered how difficult that was, because you'd all been through this, this awful thing together. How did you think they'd be coping, too?
1: You know what? I didn't. When I was put into prison, there was like maybe a year and a half going into prison that you were able to write inmate-to-inmate inmate mail. And then that stopped. And the only way that you could write you know, another prisoner was if you were married to them, if you were siblings, or if you had an open and active case, which we didn't. Hmm. So, you know, my mom was very supportive of all of us. And what she would do was she would go and see me first. And then on the way back home, she would stop in Gatesville. And that's how we kind of kept in touch. Like, you know, Cass Hmm. is okay. You know, this is going on with Christy, you know, and and whatnot. So. That was basically the only way that I actually knew about them.
0: How often did you have visits from people like family?
1: My mom was the one that was always there. you know i had um I had five brothers, but they always came up with it's hard to you know see you in there or whatnot. It was always something, but I'm like i'm I'm sitting in here, you know, <laughs> but mom was always there you know she was she was my strength, I guess you can say. So in the beginning, she was going maybe twice a month. Hmm. And then as the years progressed, um, you know, she gets older and it was harder on her to go as often. So Hmm. then it went down to like maybe once a month. Hmm. But those visits are, you know, they were everything. They were uplifting.
0: A quick word from one of our sponsors. There's almost always a rise in break-ins during the holidays. It's why Simply Safe Home Security is having a huge holiday sale. 30% off any Simply Safe system and a free security camera. Recently, US News and World Report called it the best home security of 2020. So, whether you're travelling or staying put for the holidays, check out the 30% off plus free security camera deal before it ends this week. This week, I installed my Simply Safe system. It arrives in a box with everything you need and simple to follow instructions that even I can understand. So I've now got sensors on my doors and windows, a motion detector, and camera together with monitoring. So if there's a break in, the police are alerted and everything's caught on camera. It won CNET Editor's Choice for Home Security and was named Best of 2020 by Forbes and popular mechanics. The system has an arsenal of sensors and cameras that protect every inch of your home. You can set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. It's really easy and then Simply Safe security specialists take over monitoring your home around the clock, ready to send emergency help the moment there's an alarm. Get 30% off Simply Safe plus a free security camera today by visiting simplysafe.com/masses as in huddled masses. And hurry, this deal expires today. That's simplysafe.com slash masses. Was there any point when you had lost hope that, that you'd be freed? Or had you resigned yourself to the fact that you were just going to be staying in prison?
1: Well, the first three, maybe three and a half, four years in prison, of course, I'm, I'm writing every single person that could possibly help with my wrongful conviction. You know, I went to the law library like daily you know, just trying to find a way to get help. Well, after so many rejection letters, Alex, I was like, okay, you know, I had to change my way of thinking and say, okay, this is going to be my life for the next, you know, 15 years.
2: Mm.
0: And then in 2007, this biologist from the Yukon who was studying female sex offenders came across your case and he got in touch. What happened?
1: You know, throughout the years, Alex, we always had people come across and want to help and, and they stuck around, you know, for a little while, but then, you know, they would just fall off the map. I wouldn't hear from them anymore. So I figured that, you know, they got to a, a road where they couldn't go any further or they didn't know, you know, how to go about it. You know, same thing with my family. You know, I, I had huge support from them, but they just didn't know what to do next. So when this guy comes along, I'm thinking, well, you know, he's going to stick around for a little bit and then he's going to hit a roadblock and he's going to be gone. So,
2: Mm.
1: you know, yes, I was grateful, but was I expecting anything different? No, I wasn't. Mm. You know, I didn't want to go through the whole, my hopes are so high, you know, I'm going to get help. This is going to happen and then be, you know, disappointed again. Mm. At that point, you know, I had already been in prison seven years that I've already kind of grown accustomed to being let down.
0: He was convinced of your innocence. He got in touch with this guy was called Daryl Otto, got in touch with the National Center for Reason and Justice. And it just so happened that the co-founder of this organization, Debbie Nathan, had written a book about the satanic ritual abuse cases. And she in turn contacted the Innocence Project. You had some serious lawyers sort of on your side at this point
1: yes and there there again alex when i had received the letter from the innocence project and from the national center for reason and justice that we were going to be moving forward that they were going to help there again i was like okay this is great but you know i'm just going to keep myself at bay i'm not going to get overly excited and then you know be disappointed again so yeah it was great but you know, after hearing so many of the rejection letters, no DNA, we can't help you at this time. What, you know, wh- whatever the reason was, I was very skeptical.
2: Former Bear County District Attorney Susan Reed later admitted the medical science presented at trial was wrong. Then one of the alleged victims recanted her story. Same for the forensic testimony.
0: But they managed to get in touch with... The younger victim, this was it. This was the breakthrough you needed. She recanted her testimony. yes, why did she say she had lied?
1: because of her father and the only reason why i'm stating that now, Alex is because we had a private conversation, hmm. and she had a lot of light now, state attorneys, our attorneys, and herself, her husband, and you know the three others, we were all in a room together and hmm. She, you know, just wholeheartedly apologized and and just wanted to do everything to help. Hmm. But she had stated a lot of things that we kind of figured, but there was never any proof. But truth be told, Alex, you know, the recantation is, you know, fantastic. But that's not actually what helped to set us free either.
0: So there was another expert that re-looked at the photos of the examination that these little girls had had. What did she say?
1: Yeah, it was actually Hager out in California. And um, actually, she was a part of the McMartin case. She went to the pediatrician, Nancy Kellogg, and um, stated, you know, this science has changed. And, you know, you really have to do something to help. And that's what kills me, Alex, because the science had changed back in 2007, okay? But, you know, you would think ethically that knowing that she had testified a certain way for so many years, that you would come back and say, I've testified previously, and now, you know, the science has changed, which is nobody's fault, right? They just, you know, learned more, but she didn't do that. Hmm. It wasn't until somebody had approached her that she came forward.
0: Hmm. Just before we move on to what happened next, you know, I'm sure people are listening to this saying, did anyone get in touch with this father of the girls who we now know had basically coerced them into making this false statement? Was there any comeback there? Did anyone talk to him?
1: No, absolutely not.
0: No justice as far as, as far as that was concerned.
1: No, no. So basically when you make some kind of false allegations, You know, it's basically a misdemeanor. And then it's hard to prove that you really made these allegations or accusations against, you know, just being malicious.
0: So this man is responsible for you and your friends serving nearly 15 years in prison and nothing happened to him.
1: Absolutely nothing. And Alex, if you look into Javier Limón... There's proof that he's done it. He's made allegations prior to us hmm. and after us. It's almost like his MO. That's how he gets back at people.
0: So here we have a recanted statement and we have the physical evidence now tallying with that recanted statement. Your lawyers has filed what's known as a writ of habeas corpus. The Latin, I think, literally is of the body and it's a recourse through which a person in prison can report an unlawful detention. So the the lawyers, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the lawyers then get a chance to present compelling evidence of your innocence to prove that you should not be locked up.
1: Yes, that's correct. My original trial attorney, he made a statement saying, it is not my job to prove your innocence. It is the state's job to prove your guilt, which I think that's the worst thing you could have said to a person. But when the Innocence Project of Texas came in, Alex, yes, we had the recantation. Yes. We had the pediatrician and her affidavit stating that the science was wrong that she was wrong, but they went further than that. Alex. I mean, we had psychosexual evaluations Mm. and you know, Although it was a very hard thing to do personally, mm. um, I feel like it was necessary. Like they left no stone unturned. Like mm. there was never a question of, you know, even the type of people we are.
0: I was just going to say, so these evaluations were proof that you wouldn't even be capable of these crimes, even if they had have occurred.
1: That's correct. Yes. I had gone to the sex offender treatment program and it was an 18 month program that you have to complete successfully in order to make parole. Okay. So I went to this program and of course I refused it. And at that time I was, you know, getting sanctions against me. I was, you know, losing privileges. So Mike had decided to send My polygraph test to the lady over the program Hmm. and in the sex offender treatment program, why it is, I have no idea, but they really look at polygraphs. They really take it to heart, right? I mean, you can't even use it in court, but in this program, they do. Basically, he just said, look, this is why she can't participate. It's not true. She is completely innocent. Hmm. The lady then sent it over to the higher-ups in Huntsville. And before you know it, Alex, I got an FI-1, which means you'll be released from prison in 30 to 45 days. Wow. So, I was let out on parole a year prior to the other three.
2: Inside the 175th district courtroom moments later, outside <laughs> lots of hugging and crying. Oh, so
1: happy. <laughs> you
0: were required to register as a sex offender. What did that do to you?
1: My God, Alex. You know, um the restrictions that are set forth for sex offenders. Um, you know, and, and Within reason, right? But it's, it's just sucks that I was wrapped up with that group. My nephews and my nieces that were babies when I left were growing up. One of the restrictions was I could not have any friends that had children under the age of 17, which even if they didn't bring them and, you know, me and another adult were just, you know, getting back into our friendship, that couldn't happen. It was the same thing with my family, Alex. There was a time when I was like, you know, it's worse to be out here than in prison. Hmm. And I guess I said that because I had grown accustomed. I already learned how to survive in prison. And now here I am thrown out into the world. And it just seems like it was 10 times harder.
0: Hmm. You got a job at your brother's auto shop, I think, and you had to quit because it was too close to a, a school as well. But you used your time to fight for the release of the others.
1: I did. I did. Yeah. You know, even when I found out that I was going to be the first one to be released, you know, I almost had like survivor's guilt, Alex. Hmm. Like, why me? What, you know? So I kind of had a little, you know, questioning about it. Hmm. Again, you have to change your way of thinking and, and just think, okay, this is my opportunity. I have to do something about it you know and the way you see me you know in a documentary or doing all the interviews alex that wasn't me before Hmm. i was the timid one you know never wanted to be heard or seen but you know what i had a job to do
0: and i want to come on to what you do now because you you haven't stopped there (laughs) um you know, with the ups and downs of, the, of this is not a simple sort of plain sailing thing. So you're, you're out, you're fighting for their release. There were still hurdles along the way. And I know that in 2016, a judge declined to recommend that you be found actually innocent. But then that same year, I believe, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals vacated all of your convictions. You, all of you, were fully exonerated. But tonight's top story, a clean slate for the group of women known as the San Antonio Four. A judge expunged their records.
1: Today in the same court where they were wrongly convicted, Ana Vasquez, Cassandra Rivera, Christy Mayhew, and Elizabeth Ramirez got their lives back from the Texas justice
0: system.
3: They have been declared innocent by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals.
1: Being wrongly convicted, they are now eligible for compensation by the state.
2: Their attorney, Mike Ware, says this was a classic miscarriage of justice brought about by a panic over the women's lifestyle and a rush to judgment.
0: Do you remember the day that that happened?
1: Yeah, I do, actually. I mean, it's like in the back of my mind. It's always there. At this particular time, I had uh, found a job in a tortilla factory, and we couldn't have our phones inside of the plant.
2: Hmm.
1: When I would have a break, I would go and check my phone and whatnot, make calls or whatever I had to do. But this particular time, Alex, I had multiple calls, multiple messages, and I'm like, oh, my God, something happened. Some Somebody died or something. I mean, it was just that urgency and all these, you know, texts and phone calls. And um, I had actually called my partner and she was crying. I couldn't understand her. And basically, <laughs> she said that we had won. I'm like, you know, won what? I'm completely lost, not even thinking about it because, you know, the court system is so slow hmm. that after that time, I was still waiting, thinking it would happen later, but she told me that we won and explained that we had been declared actually innocent. I hung up with her and I said, I have to call my attorney. I need to hear this from my attorney, right? So I did. And uh, yeah, he, he said that it was uh, it was over. We were um, declared <laughs> actually innocent.
0: You can't tell me you just went back to making tortillas again. Heck before. no, I
1: didn't return to work. <laughs> I mean, I went home shaking, happy, um, relieved. And here comes all the the media hmm. they're wanting to set up interviews and uh so we we did that, and it was actually the day before Thanksgiving, so we did multiple interviews after you know the interviews were done. Me and my partner drove out to her sister's for thanksgiving dinner hmm. and just during that that car ride, which was about two hours long, I mean it was pretty much just silent like. I needed to decompress, I guess. I mean, you know, the phone calls and, you know, the questions and the emotions. It was just, Mm. like, really overwhelming. Even though I was so happy, it was just Mm. like, okay, you know, um, I still have to process this.
0: Busu is an award-winning app that offers a fun and effective way to learn languages. Busu teaches 12 of the world's most popular languages, including Spanish, French, and Japanese, and it lets you practice your new skills immediately with native speakers of the language you're learning. You get feedback on your writing and speaking skills, and you can help people learn English. Busu comes with tons of smart features like a study plan to help you keep motivated and organized, vocabulary and grammar training tools built by data scientists that makes sure you remember what you learn. And you can start learning for free or choose to get a premium plan to unlock more fantastic features. I've been using Busu to brush up on my French, which we used to learn in school. Could have tried harder, Hannaford. The native speaker function's excellent. Flashcards teach you your new words and it tests you in numerous ways, speaking a sentence and then asking you to select the correct translation. So start learning with Busu by visiting Busu.com. That's B-U-S-U-U. Dot .com or search busu on the iOS App Store or Google Play and to upgrade your learning with 30% off Busu Premium use code masses as in huddled masses
3: Another extraordinary and powerful interview there Alex it's um it's hard not to feel quite angry about what Anna went through as someone who was completely innocent.
0: She tells it with such a sort of passion and emotion that it's hard not to, you know, really feel um, connected with the story and, and angry for her. Like I said at the beginning, it's a tough. It's a, it was a tough interview, but I'm really glad she felt she could sort of share it with us.
3: It's very touching the way she spoke about her mother, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, her mum, that was kind of something that really struck me. Her mum was this real constant in her life and she was always there for her. She describes her as her strength. But actually, you know, she also talks about how even her mum, for her mum, it became really difficult to visit her in prison and you, you think you know you're in prison for that long and there are obviously prisoners in for much longer and, and for life and stuff and uh, i've i've covered the criminal justice system so long and, and, and interviewed prisoners uh who are serving life sentences and on death row etc etc and there seems to be a kind of thread there that all of them talk about how they have visitors but this sort of tails off eventually and this is not for lack of compassion for them and and what they're going through, their plight. But also, it's just very, very difficult. If somebody's in, I was talking to one uh, woman who's married to a death row inmate in Texas. She lives in Louisiana and it's a 10-hour drive for her to get to the prison. And she tries to go every two weeks, but that's it's difficult. She doesn't have a high-paying job. You know, maybe if you're sort of middle class and have a good job, you'd sort of think if I had a relative that was 10 hours away, I'd go and visit them every weekend because you can afford to. And it doesn't, It's not, not a big deal that you can stay in a motel for the night. The upshot of it is that a lot of these prisoners will can go and do go years without seeing uh, a, a relative or friend. Another incredible
3: thing about Anna is when she was released from prison, had signed on the sexual offenders register life pretty hard for her she spent so much of her time campaigning for the other three and campaigning for their release she still does that sort of thing now is that right
0: she does which is why i think it's important to point out you know people listening to this sort of thinking well you know look what you've put this poor woman through she's been she got so upset during the interview and it must be you know so difficult for her this is something that anna it wants to do you know she, she works for the Innocence Project now she wants to tell her story because she feels that by people listening to it it will shine a light on the injustices that you know this is not just a sort of uh, ancient history this is not stuff that just just happens in the past this is happening all the time and Anna's fighting for people that this is happening to right now. The Innocence is presented by me, Alex Hannaford, and the producer and sound engineer was Peter Sale. Our theme music is I Shall Be Released by Polly Niles, courtesy of Cherry Red Records. Thanks again to Anna Vasquez for today's interview. And thanks also to Jason Baldwin, who puts in touch, and to Kristin huli from the Texas Coalition to abolish the death penalty. The Innocence is a DMT media production for Audio Boom. <laughs>
2: Everything can be replaced They say every distance is not near So I remember every face Of every
0: man who put me here I see my
1: life come shining